All right, the red light is on. Actually, I don't know if that portrays me as particularly <laughs> smart. Have you met my auntie pop? A lot's gonna come out in that trial. Yeah, we've had all sorts of shenanigans going on this week in the Congress. La Portada podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> Monkey box. Is that an English thing? I've said, well, I've said oh, it. Oh, you said that. Sorry, we're recording. All right. If they did, yeah. is that legal? Well, that's the next point. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid, and I'm here with my co-host Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are talking to you direct into your ears because we love Spain. And we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We are here to read all the Spanish news so that you you don't have to, which is quite a service we're providing. Welcome back, Lily. How Hello. are you? How are you this week? I'm good. It's been a busy week and quite nice, I think, knowing the Australian delegation was here for ah. later, watching on the sidelines. Are you trying to, you know, cosy up to your, your PM? My PM? No, I mean, I, I actually do know the PM quite well because he was the opposition leader for so long. But that's what it reminded me of when I when he was speaking on the tarmac in Madrid. I thought, geez, it really makes you feel like you're from an island. when the <laughs> accent was so strong. <laughs> <laughs> I think having not heard it for a while and hearing him talk about Australia, I was like, no, oh, it's really it's sort of endearing. You've gone native already, yeah, basically. Oh, yeah, it's just really, it was, it was quite nice, actually, just knowing they were busy working away. Oh, how funny. No, no, Connor, no doily this week sitting, looming behind me on my sofa. <laughs> uh, he's uh, busy this week, unfortunately. Uh, any technical issues we need to fess up to this week, Lily? I no, think everything was good. No, I think this week there was no accidental um, images that were replaced in the links. I think it was all fine. Yeah, no linking problems, which is good. Thank Thank you again uh, to all of you for your feedback and your messages. Yeah, uh, yeah I must say you're all being very kind so far. <laughs> I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the uh, the pushback. Um, one thing I did get wrong, which people alerted to in my news in brief, was making fun of drunk Brits on the Playa de Palma in Mallorca, uh, the area, according to Clive Davies and a Twitter user called aiming for calm in a sea of madness <laughs> is actually full of drunk Germans. Germans. So uh, my apologies to any drunk Brits out there who may have been offended and to the Germans in question. Benimmt euch. <laughs> what does that mean? Behave yourselves. Okay. Oh, Alan Jones was back in touch saying, you guys are obviously putting a lot of effort into this venture. When do you start to earn a living from it? That is, when do the ads start? <laughs> well, probably pretty soon, I think, Alan. Once we have a faithful following, we shall start tacking on a few commercials and break out the begging bowl with a Patreon page. And the first thing I shall be spending my money on is uh, insulating our recording <laughs> studio, which is uh, actually my living room, from the sound of my wife. But more of that to come. <laughs> She's got pipes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, all right, so you can get in touch with us where, Lily? On Twitter, you are at Simon in Madrid. I'm at Lily Mayers, and all of our socials are at La Portada Pod. So, yeah, do get in touch, drop us a message, anything you want us to uh, talk about or look at, 
or uh, any more gaffes or <laughs> problems that you spot, do let us know. Oh, just share your share your thoughts share for the day. Your thoughts, Give absolutely. us anything. Uh, so this week we will be talking about the NATO summit that's been going on this week here in the Spanish capital. I've spoken to the president of the Euro Citizens Campaign Group about the current state of play with Brexit-related issues, and it's Gay Pride Week, which we will be looking at in our news in brief. But first, there was only one story that we could start with this week, and that is the tragedy in North Africa last Friday. So Lily, tell us more about that story. Simon, at least 23 sub-Saharan migrants have died and more than 70 have been injured in a mass attempt to get from Morocco to Malia, the Spanish enclave on the North African coast last week. That figure of the amount of migrants who have died is being debated. Other migrant groups say the, the figure's actually closer to 37. Either way, it's terrifying numbers and some of the worst we've seen Um, for years. About 2,000 migrants rushed the border. Only 130 successfully entered Malia. The the ones that died were crushed between the high fences and the Moroccan border guards who are known, well known, to use extreme force on migrants attempting to cross and weapons like tear gas and batons. There were also more than 100 guard officers injured and initial reports of potential deaths. So on Tuesday, Spain's Attorney General Dolores Delgado Gado said a Spanish prosecutors have launched an investigation. That was a side note, past ones have been launched and later abandoned, so it doesn't always mean much. The United Nations Human Rights Office tweeted that it was deeply disturbed by the deaths and what it called excessive force by authorities, whereas the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, defended the Moroccan and Spanish police, saying, "Uh, we regret the loss of human lives, but that he will never tire of expressing his support for the civil guard and the police. He also thanked the Moroccan police for their work. In Morocco, uh, Euronews reported that about 65 migrants, mostly Sudanese, are to be prosecuted for taking part in the run. 37 migrants with illegal entry into Morocco, violence against law enforcement officers, armed gathering and refusal to comply. And their lawyer said another 28 will be tried for participation in a criminal gang with a view to organising and facilitating illegal immigration. And um, the lawyer said that the majority of the defendants are from Darfur in Western Sudan. It's an area that's currently going through a very serious food crisis and there's been recent um, violent uprisings there too, which has left more than 125 people dead and 50,000 people displaced. So these are desperate people that are trying to get in and, and they were met with serious, serious violence last week. Yeah, I mean, I do believe that this is actually the worst ever of these attempts in terms of the deaths uh, to get onto Spanish soil down at uh, either Melilla or the other um, city in North Africa, um, Ceuta. And interestingly, this is is the first of these attempts since um, the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sánchez, in March, openly opted to support Morocco's Mm. proposal for autonomy over Western Sahara instead of a referendum on its future has been... been requested by the um, Polisario Front. Um, that was a reversal of 47 years of neutrality by Spain and has improved relations between Spain and Morocco, which 
in turn has a direct effect on events at the borders uh, between the two countries down at uh, Theuta and Malia. It was a weird, I mean, it was the way it all played out. There was obviously something had gone on last Friday, but it wasn't until the videos of these poor migrants mm. started to circulate. And they're really, really Horrific, shocking videos. Yeah. yeah, because they're just all laid down on the floor and it's very hard to tell. I mean, you can't tell who's alive, who's dead, who's conscious, who's unconscious. Uh, it just looked really, really shocking. They're all surrounded by um, police officers. And uh, yeah, rumours quickly started to spread that something um, very big had happened. As you said, Lily, the deaths uh, were apparently caused by a crush as the migrants fell onto each other during this attempt to to rush the fence. Um I mean, it's again, it's it's just one of those stories where you can kind of see a sort of all sides because, you know, the mi- migrants were carrying sticks and stones with them. They were, you know, carrying weapons, which they later said was to scare the officers. Uh, and at the same time, the authorities were firing smoke grenades and rubber bullets at them. Um, something you can be seen in the videos, which has also been criticised by some people for being incredibly mm. you know, heavy handed. But at the same time, that must be absolutely terrifying to be uh, trying to um, police uh, an attempt like this to to rush the fence. The AMDH is the Moroccan Association for Human Rights that has been um, providing most of the photos and information uh, on this incident. It published a photo on its social media accounts where graves were being dug just two days after the tragedy. And it denounced that there'd been no investigation, no autopsies, and that the authorities were trying to um, cover up the disaster. Now, you mentioned uh, about Sanchez's reaction. The Mm. Spanish Prime Minister, he certainly caused a bit of an outcry when he first said that the whole issue had been bien resuelto, or well resolved. Uh, He later had to kind of backtrack on that because, you know, he said said that before he'd seen the images, um, Mm. basically. Uh, and in a subsequent interview, uh, he was, you know, blaming the trafficking mafias rather than mor- the Moroccan police for their heavy handed tactics for the incident. Although a lot of the Sudanese who were interviewed afterwards said that, well, there are no maf- mafias. We've come down here of our own accord. Um, Sanchez went on to say, obviously, I regret the deaths, but let's put ourselves in the position of the police officers. Uh, and he called for an, an, an analysis of these migration patterns on a global level. And that is, you know, what we always come back to with this issue is let's look at what the causes condition exactly the conditions are in the countries of origin that are prompting people to, you know, to make these uh, movements and try and, and try and get into desperately trying to get into mm. into Europe. There's also been an interesting row um, involving the Interior Minister Fernando Grande Malasca, and he's been denying that Moroccan officers actually crossed the border and took action on the Spanish soil on Friday. But the Spanish newspaper Publico actually has published photos and images that you, it completely contradicts this, and they can be seen detaining migrants who reach the other side of the fence to take them back to Moroccan soil. Mm-hmm. This is known in Spanish as a devolución en caliente or an express expulsion, and these are illegal. I mean, migrants should be processed on the Spain side uh, once they reach it, so there's questions to be uh, answered there. There have also been reports from activists and human rights collectives that violence is actually on the up on the part of the Moroccan authorities since Spain shifted its position on mm. the Western Sahara. Uh, we saw a demonstration in Madrid this week denouncing the massacre at the border and calling on Spain to respect the rights of uh, migrants with their you know, claims and slogans there saying that Spain was racist. Uh, and in Morocco, the authorities are breaking up the migrant camps in Nador, which is where the assault happened, and are telling locals not to help the sub-Saharans. 
which is just not going to solve anything at all, is it? It's just mm. it's such an awful thing. I mean, and this assault, the interesting thing here is this assault happened at a time when Morocco is cooperating with Spain. Mm. Because last year we saw that mass arrival of migrants mm. in Ceuta and they had been let through by the Moroccan authorities who were using that as a way of pressuring Spain. Yeah. Um, it's a political tool. Yeah, which is just awful because, it was, you know, risking the lives of the men, women, mm. and, you know, there were babies involved in that crossing as well. 5,000 people were let through, caused absolute chaos. But what we saw last week is that this can still happen regardless of the attitude of the Moroccan or Spanish authorities, given the absolute desperation of these migrants to arrive on mm. Moroccan soil. I also read this week in Politico and El País that the Popular Party and Unidos Podemos have together pushed for a harsher stance from the, the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, mm. uh, which was very strange bedfellows to see in the same sentence. Yeah, of course. No, leftist Unidas Podemos is uh, the Socialist Party's partner in the coalition government. And yeah, there are but there are plenty of cracks in the in the mm. in, in that coalition. And um I mean, almost inevitably with coalitions, as time goes on, they will become more, more and more evident. But yeah, we will, in fact, be coming onto that later. All right, so let's move on to our second story, which is the NATO summit in Madrid. So, Lily, mm. what caught your eye uh, about this story? Well, I think mainly the logistics. There wasn't, I mean, apart, it was interesting to watch what happened with the actual meetings and the leaders, but the logistics were interesting. This is the first time Madrid has hosted the NATO summit since 1997. It, it really felt like Spain was on the world stage, well, had was the stage for the world to see this week. Um, and they didn't, the government didn't want any issues. So they had 6,550 national police officers deployed for security, 2,400 members of the civil guard and 1,200 municipal police officers protecting the heads of states. They had choppers, F-18s from Spain's <laughs> Air Force flying over the airspace. They the were considering shutting it down. The five-star hotels in the city were booked out and their parking garages were all locked down. Businesses in the areas that were affected by the traffic closures and things told their employees to work from home this week to avoid traffic hassles. That was the main thing people wanted to talk to about, I found, <laughs> yeah. this week. When you sat down for, for coffee, they were, they were talking about how it was disrupting their, their week. But... Um, yeah, it was a big. It was a big event. It really was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, took the advice, and I haven't been anywhere near the centre. I was Neither, like, no, yeah. because I live just south of the uh, Paso de Prado, which is one of the roads that they shut down, uh, and there was no way that I was going to go in there. So I, I, I'd love to be able to report what the uh, what the disruption was like, but I actually got, but firsthand, I've got absolutely no idea. But uh, yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, I don't want to talk. Uh, having just you know discussed quite a serious story, I don't want to talk about anything uh, to do with the actual NATO summit. I just want to talk about the, all the optics. Let's talk Let's talk the drama. Let's talk the drama. It's fantastic. So Tuesday night we had this dinner. It wasn't a gala dinner, I understand, according to etiquette. It was a dinner in the in the royal palace, the Palacio Real. Uh, the king and the queen were hosts. There were 14 presidents, 21 prime ministers, and one European Commission president. They you mentioned car parks there. They actually used the Plaza Mayor as a car park, which is uh, something of a surprise. Perhaps that's why that's, make, that's why they're making Seoul a sea of concrete. Yeah. Um, you know, for summit car parking purposes. Now, uh, Queen Letitia. I mean, the king and queen just looked 
Fantastic. Oh, I have so to say, I'm so pretty good. proud of them internationally. Yeah, <laughs> they look Queen great. Letitia, our, our former newsreader, um, turned, yeah, turned monarch. Uh, she organised all the fun stuff for the uh, partners of the world leaders. Uh, she took them to Segovia, the Reina Sofia Museum, and an opera rehearsal at the Teatro Real. And it's very funny. The the again, the optics are very funny now. When it's not, it's not just first ladies and wives. It's, there's a couple of men in these groups yeah. now because one of the one of the presidents I can't remember which one it is but he's openly gay and he's married so there's mm. a couple of guys you know and obviously and if the you know if it's a female leader female president or prime minister then then uh, her husband goes on these trips which makes does make me smile um Letitia won a lot of plaudits for for her role and I must say she did she did look very comfortable didn't she yeah. she looked completely she's a good host in her element yeah she's very comfortable doing what she's doing uh, in in this kind of uh, role, that that dinner at the palace, that was cooked by a Michelin star chef. There were fifteen courses between cocktails and dessert, according to El Bay's eighty four cooks and a hundred waiters. I mean, it was yeah, but it's just a, as commentators have been saying, it's a soft power win for Spain yeah. and for the city of Madrid, especially the decision to hold the next dinner in the Prado Museum. <laughs> what? That's just a masterstroke. I just thought it, the the again the optics were just amazing. It looks mm. so great. They're all all the world leaders were um, posing by Las Meninas, the famous one of the most famous paintings in in the museum. Uh, you know, hats off to whoever came up with the idea. It's, it, mm. it's worth all of the closed roads up near Atocha because that's where. Where the, the museum is located. Um, there was Boris Johnson went off for a wander around yeah. on his own to see the paintings. Sort of Macron. Yeah, while the other leaders were chatting. I mean, that's one of the consequences of a classical education, no doubt. But Boris just couldn't resist going to check out. He, and it actually made him look quite statesmanlike for a change. Mm. He was sort of there appearing. I at also these. get it. I don't like going to galleries and waiting for other people, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. at every painting. Yeah. So take advantage of it. There were loads of jokes on Twitter about Pedro Sanchez, the prime, Spanish Prime Minister, being. Mr. Handsome. Uh, yeah, and there's, yeah, yeah. This, there's this ongoing joke about the European Commission President uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who has just history in this area. Everyone just thinks she's completely in love with Pedro Sanchez. <laughs> there's always these pictures of her kind of looking at him longingly. <laughs> we'll put them in our Twitter thread for this week. Um, people keep uh, you know, doing these montages of her with Pedro Sanchez and putting them to romantic mm. music. It's just so funny. Man. I got a text from my friend who's a journalist in Australia this week out of nowhere saying... Pedro Sanchez is so hot. That is, <laughs> that is my message. That is all. That was it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, no, no it, and the, the, the Stan account for Pedro Sanchez, the Mr. Handsome on Twitter, it just cracks me up. I really recommend you go and check it out. That's where you'll find all these videos. There was even a montage that went on there of Sanchez kissing and greeting male and female leaders. I mean, he was doing, you know, he was doing it mm. very, very you know, selectively. He knew which, you know, from which cultures, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, who to kiss. He didn't try and kiss Joe Biden, I hasten to add. But <laughs> I mean, you know, Mr. Mr. Handsome and Joe Biden need to get a room. Listen to how Mr. Handsome won over Joe Biden. We had a very warm and personal discussion upstairs. And uh, one of the things I look forward to is having that hour together before we begin the whole conference. <laughs> That's really cute. Funny. Cute. Biden was all over Pedro, and uh, it, it, Biden was also very handsy with uh, Sanchez's wife. It was very, very funny, and it's quite a contrast to that brief encounter between Sanchez and 
and Biden at another summit, which everyone really, really made fun of um, the Spanish Prime Minister for because it was just like a lip. Do you remember? They was that just, in the hallway or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. They, walked, they talked to each other for 20 seconds and it, I think they had masks That's on, if right. I remember rightly. So, But oh, it's just so funny. It kind of reminds me of the reaction to the late last uh, Eurovision Song Contest because after that or during that, everyone was just saying, oh my god is everyone in spain this attractive yeah literally <laughs> like, yes. last night i was with an australian journalist who came here to cover nato and he said i was looking at the um, national police the other day that were guarding the streets and he he said i sent a photo to my wife because i just i said what the police at home don't look like this why is everyone so good looking yeah absolutely no and, and i think that's the conclusion that we can make and you know hate to fall back on old cliches but that first of all spaniards are all very very uh are very very good looking i mean because they really did you know sanchez's wife as well is, is really stunning they all are uh, yeah, them exactly. and uh, justin trudeau they yeah, really Justin's, yeah absolutely. stand out in the photos and that spaniards really know how to throw a party because yeah. oh my god it's just it's been such a success i mean the la moncloa the, pre the presidential uh, the uh, prime minister of palace is gushing about how much of an ex a success it's been also something else i really like to see was to see the king and the queen and the prime minister speaking such fluent english because that is you know in previous prime ministers in spain have just not been able to say a word uh, in English and you know Pedro popped up on CNN giving another very capable interview in English about the summit mm -hmm. I have to say King Felipe has got a weird accent though listen <laughs> to this Russia's unjustifiable aggression against Ukraine is a flagrant violation of territorial integrity of a sovereign state it's strange it's kind of very sort of kind of very forced and very <laughs> tight and I'm not quite sure what he's trying to do but hey I'm not going to. I'm not knocking him. I'm just pointing out this because you know, hats off to anyone in that situation who can, mm. you know, do so well in a in a in a second language. Let's talk gaps quickly before we move on, though. Ensaladilla rusa. Yes, caused quite it's a, a stir. It's a very popular dish here. It's like a potato salad with tuna in it, and no one thinks about it. It, it translates to the Russian salad, there but it no was one. On the and menu. suddenly everyone's saying, uh, in NATO, why are we being served Russian yeah. salad? It was a Reuters journalist that noticed it first tweeted the photo of the menu, and by the end of the summit, they'd actually changed it. Yeah, they're, now they're calling. <laughs> well, Jose Andres has announced he's changing the dish in all his restaurants, changing the name to Ukrainian there salad. Some places are calling it the national salad now. It's, it's yeah, it's crazy. And, and there was also a minor crisis for Spain after the Spanish flag in yes. front of Santos was upside down oh. uh, for the protocol section. At, and uh, that was like right at the beginning when he was pretty much welcoming everyone. It wasn't a great look. No, absolutely. The protocol section at the NATO summit later apologized for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to do, do a little bit of serious stuff, Spain has historically had quite a limited role in NATO since it joined in. Uh, back in 1982 but as well as being the protagonist this week as host and you know what a protagonist it also managed to secure changes in the plan for the next 10 years that would actually see protection for the north african cities that we've just been discussing mm. felda malia uh, which was not that was something that was not previously included uh, in the treaty so yeah la moncloa the prime ministerial palace is very happy with the result calling it uh, the most important summit in the history of the alliance but uh, just to go back to Unidas Podemos, they're not very happy. They're not a big fan of NATO. There were some protests in Madrid against NATO, which um, some commentators were pointing out is a bit of a strange time to be protesting against NATO, considering what Russia has just done in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and Unidas Podemos is also not happy about plans 
to increase the US military presence in Spain. So yeah, we might see some ongoing fallout in Spanish politics from um, the agreements that were reached at this historic summit, if you uh, believe <laughs> what La Moncloa are pumping out this week. All right, so let's move on to our interview this week. I spoke to the president of the Euro Citizens Association, Nigel Aston. Uh, Euro Citizens has been campaigning to protect citizens' rights since the uh, Brexit vote back in 2016 when the UK decided to leave the European Union. Now, uh, eagle-eared listeners may be able to hear my wife in the background. (laughs) I've basically given up trying to get her to talk quietly while we're recording. It's just not something she's physically capable of doing while working. And to make matters worse, when I was editing this interview yesterday, (laughs) she was on the phone again. So I could hear her in my headphones and then hear her in the background as well. It was very, very confusing. But Rosa is our third host. Yes, exactly. So apologies for that. Uh, but it's the joys of working at home. We've been working, me and my wife have been working at home for two and a half years now. Um, she's soon to return to her her office, which is being refurbished. So yes, quiet times are ahead. But for now, there's a bit of background noise. So let's go and check out that interview with Nigel Aston, during which we talk about passport stamping, voting rights, and the ongoing driving license debacle. All right, Nigel, welcome to La Portada podcast. It's great to have you here. Today is June the 28th. We're chatting just the day after proposed legislation to allow the UK to unilaterally (laughs) rip up Brexit arrangements for Northern Ireland past the second reading stage in the House of Commons. So more Brexit benefits. Now, some years ago, I interviewed one of your colleagues, Michael Harris, just I think it was just after the Brexit referendum, I believe. And I distinctly remember him telling me that the aim of your organisation, Eurocitizens, was not to reverse Brexit, but to campaign for citizens' rights in the wake of the vote and the decision to leave. And does that still sum up the objectives of the group? Thank you, Simon, and great to be here. Yeah, I mean, our purpose is basically to ensure that the rights of British citizens living in Spain are protected to the best extent that we can. Now, when you spoke to to Mike, who was my predecessor as as president of uh, of Euro Citizens, it was very unclear what the form of Brexit would take. You know, there was still the potential for the UK to remain part of the single market. Uh, Obviously, that didn't uh, uh, um, come to fruition, but, uh, you know, things were very, very much up in the air. I think the one thing that has changed is because of the nature of Brexit, we moved from being a neutral organisation to accepting that our rights could only be protected in an environment where there hadn't been a Brexit. So we've had to make the most of what what we've been able to achieve and recognise that some of our objectives are not going to be realisable unless the UK at least goes back into the single market or the European economic area. That's interesting. So would that suggest that you are actually now campaigning for some kind of reversal or it's just an an acceptance of those I think it's an acceptance of that. I mean, clearly we would be on the lookout for any possibility to make any meaningful contribution Mm -hmm. to... Um, a, a shift in the UK's political position, but that is not going to happen in the in the short term, and certainly not before the next general election, and that presupposes a change of government. Mm, yeah, of course. And so, what are the main challenges that you are facing now as an organisation? What are you particularly focusing on? Ensuring that what we did gain through the withdrawal agreement is truly pr- uh, protected. That 
the Spanish authorities are keeping their uh, their side of the bargain. Um, and I mean, with the one issue at the moment that is is, is current is a, a I can only say a mess in terms of uh, immigration procedures, whereby although the Spanish authorities have made it absolutely clear that passports should not be stamped mm. um, either leave, this is in the case of people who. Uh, are protected by the withdrawal agreement and can demonstrate that they are protected either by producing a green document or better, the new tarjeta de extranjero, which actually has wording that proves you are protected by the withdrawal agreement. Um, but there seems to be a miscommunication, potentially a lack of training but on the part of uh, Spanish officials. Uh, the Spanish government have made it absolutely clear that should someone who is protected by the withdrawal agreement have a stamp in their passport, it is null and void. But the problem then is, is that generally understood by their immigration colleagues? in the rest of the Schengen area. Mm. Um, you know, the, 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 the rules are reasonably complex. There are 27 member states within the Schengen area. Uh, actually, 27 in the, in the, in the EU. It's a little bit, le- a couple uh, less in, in Schengen. Mm. Um, but, you know, there are a, a whole range of documents with which immigration staff have to be conversant. Mm. So for the Spanish to say, OK, it's null and void... Well, it's only null and void as far as the Spanish are concerned. There can be issues, and we have encountered, albeit a very limited number, of cases uh, where overzealous immigration officials in uh, the Netherlands, for example, in Germany, have failed to recognise who is protected on, uh, through Spanish residency. Yeah, and it does still seem very hit and miss when you arrive at Spanish airports, doesn't it, as to whether they stamp your passport yeah. or not. It's, it's, yeah. The message doesn't seem yeah. to have got through. As I say, the, the undertaking we have had from the Spanish authorities, and this has been confirmed in discussions mm. with the British Embassy, is that you know the, uh, the green document remains valid. Mm. The third country residency card is valid, of course, mm. uh, and no one should be in people in the possession of the, either of those documents should not be having their passport stamped. Mm. But it, it's happening, and I go back to what I said a moment ago. Uh, this seems to be a lack of miscommunication between respective uh, organisations of the Spanish state, and dare I say it, uh, you know, lack of adequate training. Yeah, because it's not a moment when, as a passenger arriving in another country, it's not a moment when you want to make a fuss, is it, when you're, yeah. <laughs> you're literally trying to get into another country. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to sort of make... Well, I actually, I did, I did try once, and I did sort of manage to talk the guy around. Um, but I, I'm in a very I'm in a very fortunate position where I've got Irish nationality now since Brexit. Okay. So I've actually started travelling on my Irish passport yeah, just I, to I, avoid... Problem because, sense, yeah. you know, yeah. even my parents, I mean, parents, you know, come a, a good few times a year and their passports are starting to fill up with stamps. And yeah. from a practical point of view, it's, it is going to be a complete pain if you have to renew your passport just purely because it is. Uh, no, but if, you, if, you're stamps. A, if you're a regular traveller, you know, business traveller who's travelling, you know, two or three times a week potentially, yeah. then you could have a problem with your passport filling up. Mm. Uh, and as I, as I said, though, the, the, big, the big issue has to be if someone who... Um, under uh, the withdra- terms of the withdrawal agreement, if you have permanent residency in Spain, you can leave the country for five years. Mm. Now, during that five-year period, if you're bearing stamps and you try to go into an- another Schengen country mm. unchallenged, you 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 could you could have the full weight of bureaucracy pointed against you. Yeah, and actually, in your last newsletter from Eurocitizens, you actually cited a case in Germany where yeah. a UK citizen was arrested crossing yeah. into Germany from a, yeah. another U- EU country. So, what what on earth happened there? Well, 
Uh, I don't want to say too much, but clearly, because it, you know it's a confidential matter with respect to this particular individual. Mm. But it seems as though they were subject to a spot check, mm. probably not directed at them, and the German police involved failed to recognise both the green document that this individual possessed and the fact that the passport had been stamped erroneously. Mm. Now, the matter has been taken to the uh, European Commission, who are clearly sympathetic to the case, Mm. and that has been escalated within the German authorities. So we're waiting for that, hopefully, to be resolved at an administrative level in the um, uh, in the German administration, rather than having to go through the uh, the German courts. Mm. Well, one issue that I've been following um, in recent months is the driving licenses yeah. debacle, which I'm I'm sure that you guys <laughs> I think are debacle across. is possibly a right word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to, I mean, just to sum up what happened, basically negotiations between Spain and the UK uh, reached a point on the first of May of this year. Uh, about information exchange uh, over drivers, um, UK drivers in Spain, whereby it got to the point where neither side, well, the Spanish authorities weren't willing to extend a situation any longer where, um, you know, residents, UK residents of Spain who've been here for more than six months could drive with their British licenses. And since the 1st of May, a lot of people have been left in a situation where they can't legally drive. In a lot of cases, because people can be very harsh uh, about this issue on social media and say, oh, they should have got it sorted out beforehand, they had loads of time. But in a lot of cases, actually, people did try, um, but were unable to um, swap their licenses in time. And now what we're looking at, where are we? We're at the end of June. So that's nearly two whole months where people who are quite often in vulnerable situations aren't allowed to drive so have you got first of all you know what's your take how did we get here how did this happen and is there any sort of sign of it being resolved anytime soon the good news is that as i understand it negotiations are continuing and mm. it does seem as though both the, the 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 british and the spanish sides are not that far apart having said that it does make you wonder why the the major the vast majority of eu member states have been able to effect a bilateral agreement and spain is lagging along with uh, italy and, and and portugal um i think we also have to put the matter in context i mean from a euro citizen's point of view most of our members have been living in Spain for a long time. Yeah. So they probably are not impacted by virtue of many years ago having obtained a Spanish stroke EU driving license. Mm. However, I am aware that on the Costas particularly, where there are greater concentrations of uh, UK residents, there are some very, very serious problems. And of course, if, you live in a, uh, if you're without a driving license in a... Uh, living in the in the middle of the countryside, this can pose extremely difficult um, issues for you. Now, I think we also have to look at this in a little bit of context. Mm. Um, for many, many years, and I believe going back to Spanish accession to the European Union and the adoption of a of a common EU driving license, it has always been a requirement that you should have a Spanish driving license six months after gaining Spanish residency. Mm. Uh, so we're going back to the 1990s here with that provision. If you change address, you should get a new driving license with the with the, with the, with the new address. So mm. we should be talking fundamentally about people who um, have moved to Spain relatively recently and were caught out because of the volume of requests 
at the end of um, 2020. Mm. The Spanish authorities set a deadline of, I think it was the 30th of December 2020, to make an appointment for the exchange of a licence. And I know at least one individual who booked an appointment on the 30th of December mm. uh, or, or, or registered an interest on the 30th of December 2020 and five months later was able to effect, effect an exchange. Mm. But there is clearly a backlog. People have arrived since the, um, uh, since the beginning of 2021. There were people who arrived covered by the withdrawal agreement by virtue of arriving in 2020 but not having... Uh, at that time being able to go through the full residence um, procedures mm. and they've been caught up in this unfortunate situ- un- unfortunate situation. Mm. So, you know, we can only hope that the um, Spanish authorities and, and, the, uh, and, and Britain are going to come to an agreement pretty quickly. Mm. But I'm afraid, you know, for people who are caught in this, the only option is to take a Spanish driving licence. Yeah, which is... Uh, a driving test, I'm sorry. Yeah, to take a test. Yeah, which and get a, Spanish, yeah, 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 which is, which is I, a total It doesn't... I, I believe now there are elements that can be taken in English. Yeah, I think the theory but, you can do in yeah, English, can't yeah, you? But yeah. I, you, I think you would yeah. still have to do the yeah. actual yeah. test in yeah. Spanish, which is obviously going to be a push for some people. Um, okay, great. Yes, and so yeah, um, the, just one last issue that you mentioned in your newsletter, which was voting rights. Yes. So, what's the situation with voting rights for Britons in Spain after Brexit? Okay, well, at a municipal level, uh, there is a bilateral agreement between the UK and um, and, and Spain, whereby, as before Brexit. Uh, British citizens resident here can vote in uh, Spanish municipal elections, obviously no longer having the right to vote in European um, Parliament elections. Mm. Uh, The difference that comes in is because Britons are now regarded as third country nationals, there will be a period of registration and uh, given the next round of municipal elections will be in 2023, towards the end of this year, registration to vote will be will be mandatory if you mm. want to vote right and the, the british embassy have said that they will publish uh, full guidance at that time as will huh. i imagine the spanish authorities whereas before you didn't have to register to vote you were just because it was automatic as an yeah, eu citizen yeah so mm. if you were empadronado then yeah that you were okay on the bigger question of voting in uk uh, general elections mm. and any future referendums yes that would be nice. uh, <laughs> The Elections Bill 2020, uh, 2021 is now law, um, but the UK government do need to set out secondary legislation, which puts this uh, sets out basically the details of how you you register and how to cast your vote. Mm-hmm. Basically, this means that every uh, anyone who can prove that they had a former address in the UK is entitled to vote in in UK elections. Hmm. For life, wow! But you will need to re- you will need to register when the UK government set out uh, the rules for doing that. And you mentioned there is it is that definite that there is no way that uh, British residents in the EU are going to be able to vote in European elections? Has that has that ship sailed? That ship has sailed until the UK joins the EU. Right. Or rejoins the Rejoins the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, no, my pleasure, been, Simon. Yeah, it's been uh, really interesting. Um, and people can support Euro Citizens, I believe. You can. You... We have a Facebook page. We have a, uh, a blog spot as well, uh, easily identified on by, by, by Googling uh, Euro Citizens. And there is a good deal of uh, residual information on the, uh, on the British in Europe, britishineurope.org site. 
uh, all the documents that were produced, uh, you know, going back to uh, the referendum, uh, explaining the withdrawal agreement, etc., etc., is still up on that site. Excellent. Well, in my in my journalism, in my podcasting, I always try and stay fairly neutral. But um, on Brexit, there's not uh, <laughs> it's not a subject where I'm neutral. So thank you very much for fighting the good fight and for for all your work and effort. Thank you very much, Simon. Yeah, and yeah, and no, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Indeed. Thanks a lot. So interesting stuff, still a lot of work there to do. And yeah, worth worth keeping an eye on this stuff. I mean, as I said in the interview, Lily, a lot of people are just like, oh, Brexit's done, just get mm. over it. And I think there's some fatigue there. Mm. Whereas still, for the people that it's affecting, absolutely. it's such a big deal. Absolutely. It is something that we've been for weeks wanting to get to. So I'm really glad Definitely. there's some clarification there. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on then to our last item, which is Lily's News in Brief. <laughs> National police say they've found the body of Madrid woman Juana Canal, who disappeared 19 years ago, in Avila. The investigation into the cause of her death is still open, but police have in the past suspected her to have been murdered by her then-partner. Ryanair has had to cancel or delay 152 flights within Spain due to a three-day cabin crew strike this week. And in far brighter news, Pride Week begins today and will run until next Saturday with the big Pride Parade finale. The parade begins at Atocha Station, travels along the Paseo del Prado and ends at the Plata Calón. Lovely Will stuff. you be going? <laughs> I may well do. I want to go and see the... They used to do a, a sprint race in high heels, which was my favourite. Oh. Uh, yeah, the high heel sprint race was one of my favourite uh, favorite fixtures of the Pride Week. But yeah, maybe do, maybe wander down there. The Paseo de Prado has been very busy this yeah, week. Yeah, it? it's got, really got to work out. <laughs> NATO leaders to Pride Week. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there then. Our fourth episode of La Portada podcast. This episode was recorded on the 1st of July in the city of Madrid. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter, and providing remote technical support and remote (laughs) armchair punditry was Connor Doyle. We are on all socials at La Portada Pod and our email is always open to you, laportadapod at gmail.com. You can also find Simon and I on Twitter at Simon in Madrid and at Lily Mayers. Please subscribe wherever you are listening and tell your friends. Get the word out that there is a new podcast in town. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego.